Thanks for listening to the Standing Together Ministry Podcast. Our desire is to create a multi-generational conversation in the independent Baptist movement while standing together for truth. The following is a teaching portion from the first ever Standing Together Ministry Summit in September of 2018. We would love to see you at the next summit on April 1st and 2nd at Franklin Road Baptist Church of Murfreesboro, Tennessee. You can learn more and register at stsummit.com. That's stsummit.com. Now, prepare to grow as you listen to this episode of the Standing Together Ministry Podcast. There are uh, four, really probably five, major generational groups um, that we are working with contemporarily today. The oldest would be the traditional group. Um, it's also known as a silent generation. And this is a group of people born before 1945. Of course, there's fewer and fewer of them, but they, there's a still group of people that will be attending our churches that would be called traditionalists or the silent generation. Next come the baby boomers. Uh, baby boomers were born between 1946 and in 1964. It was the largest group for, uh, for many years. Of course, now millennials have surpassed them. Then there's Generation X, which is born 1965 to 1976. Then, of course, the millennials, um, who are you know, probably the ones who are instigating this particular meeting, uh, born between 1977 and 1995. And then the youngest generation, Generation Z, or the Centennials, born 1996 and later. Now, all these groups of people share many cultural norms and values, of course. They're most of them born in the country. We, we share certain things. At the same time, because of changes culturally, which, by the way, is even a biblical idea that knowledge will increase more and more. That means technology is going to change more and more. Culture will change faster and faster than it did in preceding generations. You know, though they share some uh, norms and culture, there are still many, many things about these different groups and the way they view the world that is different, and these differences can tremendously impact um, church culture and our ability to relate to them. Um, So, you know, I want to say this, we can do what we're going to do, but the the more that we might understand some of these generational differences, the more effectively we might be able to lead them in certain aspects of our ministry. We live in a unique time, I suppose in past decades, certainly past centuries, that a man could have stood in, in his church or his pulpit and pastored the same thinking his whole time and tenure as a pastor. Nothing would have changed because culture was pretty normative for 30, 40, 50, 60 years. Well, with the advancement of global thinking, global awareness, of course, technology, generations, as you can see, are now more in the span of 10, 15 years. And some of the differences in the way people think and appreciate is, is very, very different. Um, shared experiences is somewhat different. I mean, my kids wouldn't know what a rotary phone is. They would have never seen green stamps. I mean, being silly, but there are real changes. I've never seen a floppy disk. There are things that they simply cannot relate to. Um, but we aren't afforded the simplicity of that. We have people, you know, if you're pastoring people who are in their 20s, they're going to think and perceive things very differently than people in their 60s, 70s, and, and 80s. My children experience technology and communication in a, in a way I, I didn't have a phone growing up. I, didn't, I would never have thought about having a phone in my pocket or my car or carrying it with me. Um, and my grandchildren, 
they don't just utilize technology, they manipulate technology. They're the creator of technology. Um, so I had no real outlet, for example, to express myself beyond my immediate peer group. Grew up in high school. Um, I went to a place called Owasso High School, and my influence would have been incredibly local. But today, because of Facebook, Instagram, whatever else, uh, people who may not even deserve a platform have one. And they have the ability to share their, their views at large. Um, it's, it's very different than someone who would be in their 60s today, again, than someone in their 20s. That, that difference is enormous. Now, um, of course, when I, when I, when I, as I talk about this, I want us to understand that when it comes to preaching and the gospel, the truth, we present that. We present that in a biblical way. All people's needs are the same. They're all sinners. They, they, they need to be saved by grace. They need the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, they all need to culturally bend their knees to the scriptural thinking and the biblical cultural values. I believe that Christianity creates culture. It doesn't just operate in it. But there is still the task of presenting a truth, especially for the first few times, and then receiving it. Um, of us speaking in a way that we can be heard, that we're not just blind or, or thoughtless about how we say things or do things, my point is that if Paul's going into a Jewish audience and say, okay, they're Jewish, I'm going to say things this way, and if this is a, a Gentile audience, then I'm going to be sensitive to certain things. I won't, um, if you go to Arab culture, you wouldn't cross your legs because the bottom of the shoe is offensive. That's the kind of thing that I'm take, t talking about. You're going to be thoughtful about those kinds of things. Well, that's what Paul is doing here in 1 Corinthians 9. My point is Paul was aware of cultural differences, and he navigated that with a bit of nuance. Now, he presented the same truth. But I'm not persuaded always in the necessarily the same way. There were times that Paul was very academic. There were times he was intellectual. There were times he was passionate. He was persuasive. He was always working to avoid offense, not the offense of saying the truth. Okay? Paul never avoided the offense of saying a truth, but just presenting the truth in an offensive way. Guys, there's a difference in how you present something. Uh, Paul never compromised, but he did try to understand his audience and relate to them. So... With that kind of thought in mind, let, let's go back and talk about our generations for a moment and how we can relate to them. The traditionalists, the people who are old in our church, we need to understand they were shaped by certain forces that you and I even would not be aware of. They were shaped by World War II, the Korean War. Uh, they were shaped by uh, the great parents who went through the Great Depression, and so because of that, imposed certain values on them. Uh, baby boomers were shaped by the Vietnam War, the Cold War with Russia, space travel. Uh, the baby boomers were promised uh, the American dream that they would uh, have better than their parents. Generation X, which I'm on the border of that, um, was the first generation that really experienced dual income families, a mother away from the home. The energy crisis increased divorce rate. Uh, they were latchkey kids for the most part. They were the first generation to actually do less well than their parents. Millennials were shaped by digital media, uh, school shootings, uh, a great divorce rate. Uh, they're the most, this is the most protected group of children ever because their parents perceive the world as growing evil. Um, they are the first kids with their own schedules. It used to be parents had schedules. I raised kids who had their own schedules. Um, they're, they're, you know, they had soccer, they had football, they had this, they had this sport, they had this. I mean, they had schedules that were sometimes worse than mine. And then centennials are shaped mostly by media and the use of media. Okay, so um, all these forces shaping these different generations of people, well, that impacts them. 
It impacts them. It impacts them in really meaningful ways in the way that we lead them in, in church as pastors. For example, traditionalists, the solid generation, the old generation, they like to adhere to rules. They like rules. They like policy. They like for you to tell them what to do. And then once you tell them, they believe it. And it's hard for you to alter that once that's set in place. They don't question authority for the most part. They like law and order. They're super patriotic. They have respect for your office and the position of authority. Um, they are highly disciplined. Uh, baby boomers, not exactly the same. Um, baby boomers are about equality. They're for the most part optimistic. They're into personal gratification. Their environmental forces made them uh, materialistic. Um, because of things that happened in their generations, they struggled trusting authority. Think Nixon. Um, some of you don't know who Nixon is, but whatever. <laughs> They're team oriented. They're highly focused on their children. Generation X, about balance, uh, very much like millennials. Uh, they like to have fun. Um, They're independent. Tell me what to do, then get out of my way. Okay? Very different way of thinking than the collaborative mindset of a millennial. Um, they're into informality. Um, they're um, techno sort of kind of literate. That would be me. Millennials, very different. Um, what we're doing here is millennial. Linear conversation. Okay? Me not talking down to you us talking all together this way. That's millennial. Older preachers, and you understand when I say that, they're about speaking here. Millennials are about speaking here. Hence the panel. Okay? Let's have a conversation that's very millennial, and millennials don't like for you to tell them what to do. I'm talking about it as a group. And the, but they don't mind doing it if you tell them why. Tell me why I'm supposed to do what I'm supposed to do. And then there's buy-in. They're, they're all about alignment. Some people think millennials are um, not loyal. Not true. Millennials are highly loyal when they're aligned. In other words, if our values are shared, I'm with you to the end. I'll die with you, but if I don't sense authenticity between you and we're not, we're not the same values, it's hard for me to work with you. So they're seen as job hoppers and church hoppers. That's not really true. They're seeking alignment somewhere. It's a term that I wouldn't even thought about you know, 10, 15 years ago. Um, and, of course, they are com computer literate and many other things. Now, if you think about those differences, tell me what to do, don't tell me what to do. Um, I need to know why I'm doing it. Um, I need you to tell me what to do and then leave me alone. Why don't you tell me what to do and let's talk about it. Very different in a church. And as your church grows, these challenges become greater and greater. greater. Different generations often um, can develop because of these differences and nuances a level of disdain for each other, which we talked about even in the preaching. Sometimes the older generation looks at the younger, younger generation as too touchy-feely. You know, yes, all you'll do is talk. The younger generation is you're just too authoritative and, and you're arrogant. And so these attitudes develop. And if you're paying attention, there's, it creates tension in, even in men who have common um, otherwise philosophies and doctrine in other words, even within fundamentalism, there's sometimes tension between these older and, you just to make it dual, older and younger generations, an old guard and a new guard. And uh, they would agree on theology, would agree for the most part on methodology, but these nuances change, 
um, create problems. So um, what, what I want to say here is, is that these different groups are going to respond a little bit different to the way you talk to them, to different methodologies. Um, but all this, again, needs to be filtered through biblical parameters. Um, I want you to understand, I believe there's a right and wrong way to do things, and that's defined by the Bible. But being aware of these things and operate within them, I, I think, is wise. Um, so I'm going to skip some of my notes because of time and get to another thought here. Um, we, I, I, I want to caution us for a moment uh, and, and to this crowd because I, I, I think um, I've heard this conversation uh, before, is that it's easy for us to not understand younger people, older generation, older generation, younger generation. I think it's part of why we're having this larger conversation here uh, so we don't have that negative response uh, to each other. Um, but what I, what I want to encourage you to do is to appreciate these and then do something with it. Now, <clears throat> I'm not here to maybe tell you for a, a moment, um, I, I maybe want to second what I do specifically in terms of acknowledging the differences, um, but what I do want you to do is acknowledge that these things are real and notice them, and then I have, I think, four or five suggestions for you as we think about having generational differences in our church. Number one, first of all, realize that you too are shaped by generational forces. Now, I think this is really important. Now, a lot of young guys here, a few of us older ones here, but as we look at the world, we kinda, we're kind of egocentric. We, you know, kind of like we're the center of the universe and everything is different than me, but that's not necessarily true. You're a child of your generation as the people who were a child of the generation in who are 70. Does that make sense? There are certain things that you do that you might think, now forgive me, please don't, don't interpose more than I'm saying than what I'm saying, that you think are Bible and right, but honestly, they're more of a function of your generation. In other words, if you're older, you place an incredible premium on being authoritative, right? Okay, so you think anyone who's not authoritative is a compromiser or who's less authoritative than you in their preaching style or their presentation. Um, I, I remember talking to an old preacher, and he, he was just so frustrated. He said, I just want to tell people what to do and then tell them how to do it, and I want them to do it when I tell them to do it. Well, that's not bad. He grew up in a military post-World War II generation, and he thought that was Bible. And I, by the way, being obedient to authority is Bible. You follow me? Being declarative of the scriptures authoritatively is Bible. But it's not less Bible to be kind and compassionate and authentic and genuine and real in the things that a younger person might want to do. You follow me? So here's my point. Wherever you land this generational deal, you have to think you are somewhat the fish in your own tank and it would behoove you to get into the larger pool. Make sense? In other words, be aware of your biases. And that's hard to do sometimes. But we all need to be aware of our biases. I, I come from a coaching paradigm. I am, I am a child of two worlds. I feel half millennial, half generation X, and sometimes I feel like I'm a traditionalist. You know, I'm, not, I'm, I'm that weird. I just go all the way back. And it's easy for me to think 
this is the right way to do it, when in truth, and again, don't, don't push more of me that I'm saying, there's more than one right way to do it. Okay? So we need to realize that. Now listen, rising above all of this is what the Apostle Paul said, I am what I am by the grace of God. That should, what, that should rise above all these generational things is that at some point Christianity, the scripture should inform all of our thinking, but we're never going to rise past a degree, our parentage, our genetics, our heritage. Hey, listen, being five foot eight and skinny, fair complexed and no hair, it impacts my life. No, seriously. It changed. It, it'd be, I would think differently. If I was six foot six foot four, super handsome, uh, major athletic, I would view the world differently. I'm very serious about that. If I grew up wealthy versus poor, that affects my thinking. It does. And we create biases there that we think are gospel that are not gospel. So in time, though, all these things need to bow the knee to the grace of God. I just want you to consider for a moment that what you think really does need to be Bible and not necessarily a generational component of your upbringing. Okay? Realize you have a bias shaped by your generational dynamics. Number two, we need to educate ourselves to become more aware of the diversity in our congregation. We need to educate ourselves to become more aware of the diversity in our congregation. Um, let me tell you some ways that I do that. Um, you know, I'm really not preaching today, but you already have a feeling for my preaching style if I went to preach. Okay? That's how I do it. This is, this is who I am. This is what I do. I'm an educator who gets hot and sweaty while I'm doing it. Um, I, I, I can be passionate. My preaching is what it is. But I also am aware that there's people in my church who want me to be authoritative, especially in the preaching. But there's a lot of people in my church who are younger who want me to, they want to talk to me. They want access to me. They want me to have a conversation with them. They want to be authentic and real. So I try to live out part of my life in front of them. In other words, where I used to maybe have cloistered myself in trying to get ready for a sermon, if and when I feel prepared enough, I go out 30 minutes to 45 minutes before service and just talk and just mingle. And especially after service, I try to stay. Now, that's not sustainable every time because you wear out, but you get the point. I find avenues and venues to be in front of people relationally, conversationally, uh, practically, personally, so they have a sense. I share, uh, I try to share too many personal illustrations when I preach, but I share some because authenticity is a value to a younger generation. In other words, I struggle with this. I don't just say you struggle with it or people struggle with it. I might say I struggle with this. And, I, and I'm trying to find life balance myself. And, I, I, and, and there's, you know, there's a generation who wants me to be more than me tell you what to do and how to do it. Make sense? So these things are the ways that, that inform. I'm, I'm authoritative when I preach, relationship in my fellowship, when we plan events and whatever else. We're thinking generationally. Here's something for the kids to do. Here's something for teenagers to do. Here's something for uh, young people with, with, with children. Here's something for older people to do. We're trying to think what we can do across the generations to connect with people. And there's a thousand things I could say there, but I think you get the idea. We need to educate ourselves about these, these differences and do something with them. Number three, when it comes to cross-generational leadership, don't disparage what you don't fully understand. Don't disparage what we don't fully understand, and we do that a lot. In churches, outside of churches, I'm not being silly or mean, but disparaging others who don't understand is part of our DNA as fundamentalists sometimes. And, and that's just truth. 
Let me better say that. That's part of it being a person. We're just people who are fundamentalist. So that's probably more adequately said. We, we, we always are scared of what we don't fully understand. So when some guy puts up a screen, and we've never had screens, that scares us. Right? It doesn't scare you, but it has scared other people maybe. <laughs> there are things that are like that that are they're different. They're not necessarily, and I'm here to talk about preference of that stuff. That just so is overdone. It wears me out. The point being, we need to be, again, run it through the scriptures. Run it through the filter of the Bible and see, is this a Bible issue? Is this a generational issue? Whereas when I went to church, there was no such thing as a screen. What was a screen? You know, we didn't have phone screens, computer screens, iPad screens. We didn't have any screens. You know, if we did, is that really slow one that came out of the ceiling really slow like this and went back up? Um. <laughs> What instead should be engendered with something that's different is have an intelligent biblical conversation about it. Why are, you, why are you doing that? Why don't you do that? And you're going to find out there's good reasons sometimes on both sides of that ball. Um, I, I'm going to hurry. Number four. All of us need to run. Again, this is kind of a, uh, number one again. All of us need to rise above our own biases and generational parameters. And I'm going to finish with this real quick, baby. But all of us need to rise above our own generational bias and parameters. Um, again, thinking that this is the only way to do things can, can put us in a dangerous uh, place. But I want to say something, and I want you guys to look at me when I say this, because I, 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 I do feel very passionately about this. Modern thinking wants to tell us that all cultures are, are, are equal. I want to say to you, and I'll say this declarative and orthodoxically, I don't believe all cultures are equal. I think Christian culture is superior than all of them. And if you just look across the globe, not all cultures can accomplish the same things. Okay? So you're a millennial culturalist, and you're a Generation X culturalist. What I want to say to you is things that you do, even if permissible and not bad, may still have negative consequences in time. I preached a sermon called The Benign uh, the negative consequences of benign choices in life. There are some things that aren't right or wrong, but if you do them, they still have consequences. If you are an authoritative person in a leadership style, you will get compliance. You will not get creativity. Because a man will be afraid to violate what you told him to do, so he'll be compliant but not creative. If you are ambiguous in your leadership style, or, or more of a millennial leader, you won't get as much compliance, but you'll get great creativity. So there's consequences in our leadership choices. Does that make sense? Okay, so you want to use media in your church. Okay, whatever. I'm not going to say it's right or wrong. Understand this. It's like with your children, too much of even a good thing, too much Sesame Street makes them or, um, uh, entertainment oriented. Too little authoritative speaking can make for uh, not enough cohesion. You understand my point? I'm not here to tell you what's right and wrong. I'm here to say this. Whatever choice you do use in leadership style, programs, whatever else, you need to be smart enough to understand they have consequences. Does that make sense? Okay. I, I can say a lot more about that. Uh, but methodology matters. Uh, read Neil Poston's book, Abusing Ourselves to Death. Methodology determines the message. Change the methodology. I promise you, you change the message to some degree. It's a great book. You should read it. It'll change your thinking about that. And um, i got to finish. We're going to do a panel. All right, cut my breath. That was two hours of notes in 30 minutes.
We hope this episode has been helpful to you and that you'll subscribe to our podcast. You can connect with Standing Together on Twitter and Facebook, where we hope you will take a moment to share this podcast with your friends and followers. And remember, we'd love to see you at the next Standing Together Ministry Summit on April 1st and 2nd in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. For more information, visit us at stsummit.com. That's stsummit.com. Thanks again for listening. Thanks again for listening.